The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Like double dog dare ya! Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, no f***ing now? It's a Tuesday afternoon edition of the PFTPF podcast, and look who we have here. From his home somewhere in an undisclosed location in New England, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, where? Where do you live? Where are you? I'm in Massachusetts. It's a town called Freetown, Massachusetts. It's uh, established about 1680. Uh, I lived in in Lakeville, Massachusetts. We moved just at the beginning of the poop hitting the fan. So we were fortunate to get into our new joint and we're real happy here. By the way, he's Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston. And, you know, I've done several of these with general managers and coaches, and I think your background is the nicest of any that I've seen. Now, maybe the other ones just didn't give a crap and didn't want to put the camera in a nice room. Stephen Jones had it all set up with a window in the background, which made it look like he was, like, sitting in a giant shadow. This is very right. nice behind just a nice setup. Thank you. Well, is this the new room? This, here, you'll like this, actually. This is my grandfather's hat, Clarence Joseph Kilgallen. Born in uh, 1907, he worked for the Department of Agriculture. He's a Vermont native. So we got that. We got the we got the Edelman book that uh, that I was you know living off the the Patriots teat with. Um, got a James White picture. We got a, a couple of Emmys that I, I excused to scratch my back. And, uh, wait, wait, wait! What did you win Emmys for? Is this regional Emmy or national Emmy? Can't even remember, Mike. I think it was yeah. international. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, why James White? Of all the players, past and present, in the New England Patriots, how does James White make it onto your mantle? It's funny because you know the Patriots, you know Stacy James. Well, they're really they have a hard they have a hard chore ahead of them doing media relations for the Patriots. It's not an easy job, but they work really hard to help us as much as they can, and they also do nice things. And one of the nice things that Stacy did one year is he had one of his interns taking pictures of all the media folk when they were doing their jobs. And at Christmas time, he, he gave us these pictures autographed by the player with whom we were speaking. So this is me and Jimmy White having a nice yeah. talk. Too bad you weren't talking to Tom Brady at the time. It would have been a better picture. He didn't say that. He didn't say that to you. He's okay. Hey, don't do uh, don't do uh, I can tell that the pandemic has taken a little bite out of your Dr. Robert Leonard experience. That's absolutely not friggin' true. Look at that. No, not from that angle. Not from that angle. We need to do some work on the back end. You got wait a minute, wait a minute, there, wait a minute. You should have seen how it, it used to look like somebody slapped me with a slice of bologna. It was much worse. Now it's fine. It's just thin. All right. Uh, enough of all that. Oh, first of all, beyond the stuff that's on the mantle, under the mantle, is that a working fireplace or is that just for show? Uh, it is working, but it ain't going to be working for us. We're going to put an insert in that thing. Yeah, um, because it's propane, and my wife does not like propane. I don't like propane. Um, but you know what? I mean, here's the thing about Freetown, Massachusetts, Mike. I'm going to show the folks. We're really lucky. There's there's a, a pond here called Long Pond. Do you know what the difference between a pond and a lake is? I have no idea. It's depth. It's depth, Mike. 
So what's the break even like, to have a a lake versus a pond? That looks like a lake. There's a microphone. There's a microphone you need to speak into. What? There's a microphone you need to speak into. When you turned it away, I couldn't hear you. Oh, my bad. Um, so anyway, tell me about the pond. It looks so, like a lake. It looks like a, one of the great lakes. Are you sure you don't huge. live like on it's Lake Erie? It's, it's the largest recreational lake in Massachusetts, Michael. <laughs> so it's well, not a pond. Huh? It's a lake, not a pond. It's called Long Pond because ponds are measured by depth, not size. It's only 10 feet deep at its deepest point, but it's massive. So you fish in that pond? You can fish the crap out of it. You can put unlimited horsepower boats on it. We're going to have ourselves a time out there, and I want you to come on up. But when you live outside of Boston proper, you know how expensive it is in Boston proper. You just take a 40-minute drive outside Boston. You don't have to live in the city. You're way away from the pandemic, kind of. And you can have a nice house on the water. Well, it's nice uh, of you to show us around your, your house, fairly new house. Congratulations on Thanks, that. Thanks, buddy. And let, let's get down to business. Well, first of all, how, how are you and the family doing through all of this stuff? Really, really pretty good. I think that, you know, everybody, <laughs> relative to what folks are going through, I'm in the 99th percentile of good fortune. And, you know, even in sports writing, I think, Mike, you cover the best sport there is to cover. I cover the best sport and the best team in the, the sport to cover. They are an absolute font of... Wait, wait. I, I didn't hear you say you moved to Kansas City. No, 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 no. The best team for oh. stories. Right. I mean, I mean, who cares? I mean, you can write all you want about Pat Mahomes, but all the things that go on around the Patriots, it's an endless font of, of storylines and stories, and it just doesn't dry up. So I'm really lucky. Um, I have, like you do, a, uh, I have two kids in college, one who's graduating Sunday. We will go through the exercise downstairs in the kitchen. I have another one who's a junior who, uh, and then I have an older son who's two years out of school. And, you know, I feel for those kids. I, I really feel for the group of people from the ages of 15 to 45 to 50. It's a lot of sacrifices being made by that demographic, a lot of sacrifices. Everybody's yeah. making them and we need to. Well, but it's about being asked. and you're right. You're right. It's, it's harder for the younger kids that don't have the breadth of life experience to compare this to don't, ha I mean, they're, they're on the brink of doing things they really want to do and need to do. And all of a sudden pause has been pressed on that, whether it's school age, college age, whatever the case may be, it's a sacrifice that for most of them, it's not voluntary because they're being told by the grownups around them what they can and can't do. I, I'm, I'm fortunate my son's been here the whole time and he has complied with all of the various regulations and rules both of the household and of the local and state government, which has been a good thing because it would be hard. I'm sure there are plenty of kids out there that are rebelling. They jump in their car and they go. And, and what's mom and dad going to do? Chase them? You know, I mean, I, I suspect that there are going to be plenty of stories of, of kids that just said, screw it, I've had enough. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they go out and they do things they shouldn't do. And it's at a point where, I mean, to, to speak candidly about it, and I know that you and Michael David Smith and Darren have done a great job, I think, in, you know, being responsibly articulate on looking at both sides of it there is a demographic there that is bearing the brunt of trying to get traction in their industries and careers and their livelihoods we're trying to raise families and they already have a lot stacked against them with college loans and uh, the job markets and the changeable nature of things and then when we look at statistics they aren't directly impacted so you have to s continue to remind them of the ephemeral effect of them staying 
secluded and isolated and, and doing all the important things. It's it's just uh, it's something, man. <laughs> Sorry, we got way off track. Ephemeral, impressive. See, I'm used to hanging out with guys like Chris Sims who will just make a word up that he thinks may mean something like what it sounds like, and it just comes out as a complete and total mess, which is part of his charm. Ephemeral is one that you know I'm 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 uh, humbled. You breathe that in. Someone who can properly use ephemeral. You breathe right. in ephemeral. Let's get to the team that you cover, the most compelling team in the National Football League. I thought of you yesterday when I saw Gary Myers' tweet, and I want to start there. Gary Myers sure. covered the NFL for years with the New York Daily News. He wrote the Brady versus Manning book. He's still around the game. He tweeted that part of why Tom Brady ultimately left the Patriots was the deterioration of his relationship with offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. Sims and I talked it out today on PFT Live, and we came to the conclusion that basically Tom was weary of the entire Patriot way, and Josh McDaniels is part of it. You can't have some of the Patriot way. It's all of the Patriot way that all those coaches are like Bill Belichick. And if you're worn down by the way things are, you're necessarily going to have deterioration with the individuals who are imposing the Patriot way on you. Is it that simple, or is there something more to it that is specific to McDaniels and Brady? No, there's an element of, of accuracy, a big element of accuracy to what Chris says. Um, and there's a kernel of a root of accuracy to what Gary is saying. However, as I traced it with our folks on our email chain today, it's like Gary just happened upon an airplane crash site two months after it's been roped off, cleaned and documented and picked up a little piece of a wing and said, I found it. I found the reason. You didn't. You didn't. You found something that was indicative of something bigger. And the something bigger, see, to call it a deteriorating relationship is sexing it up. Was Brady somewhat marginalized in 2019? Yes. But why? Because the team didn't want to commit to him long term. Why didn't we want to commit to him long term? Because of his age. And what did that mean? That means he didn't get his extension. So when you're already feeling that way, and then when you show up to work in July after not being at OTAs and passing camps and finding out that they're saying, you know what, let, let us just do the coaching. Okay, we don't need you um, directing the players. And we'll come to you if we need help. Damn, we already got the game plan in. We can't just shred it now and put your stuff in. You start to feel as if, oh, okay, I kind of see what's going on. Mike, I had someone tell me a few years ago, relative to Gronkowski, that um, Tom talking to that person said that, I know what it looks like when a team when the team is trying to move on from somebody. And that's what it looks like right now with Gronk. Last year, same person said, that's what it looks like with me right now. So was there a deteriorating relationship with the offensive player? No. But the relationship and the job description with the team had so drastically changed that he was off put by everything having to do with work. You mentioned Tom Brady staying away from OTAs his last couple of years with the Patriots on Howard Stern. He attributed that to essentially an ultimatum, not a hard ultimatum that he got from his wife, but a very clear message that she expected something more from him in the non-football months. Do you buy that explanation or do you think that staying away was some sort of a middle finger to the team? Sims seems to think that blaming it on Giselle, his wife, is a way to mask what was really going on, which is he was trying to stick it to the Patriots by not showing up. Again, I think we're, there's some shades of gray there, same way there is with the, the, the Gary Myers report. Um, 
there's absolutely no doubt that Giselle must have articulated that you got to cut the crap. And I believe that was probably after the 2016 season going into 2017 relative to TV 12, Tom versus time and, and so many other things um, that captured his attention. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, but also that Tom Brady decided to work to rule doesn't surprise me either. You're going to be making $15 million as he was for a large portion of that contract prior to last year, or they're going to be paying you bonuses that you'll never hit because of the guys they've surrounded you with. And they want you to come in, work for half of what Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers is making, come in, work for half what they're making, and then come in for free in May, June, and July, or April, May, and June. I really, truly believe that that was a combination. I'm going to spend more time with my family because they need me. My wife needs my presence. And you know what? You're not paying me enough when I'm in the season. Why should I work for you for free out of the season? That's a good point. I mean, it's easy to justify staying away from the team at a time when your family wants you and needs you, and the team isn't giving you a reason to say, I'll deal with my family. They'll be okay. I'll see you on Monday for the voluntary workouts. Now, as it relates to Tom always taking less money, it's hard for me to process him suddenly having an issue with not being paid enough when he consistently took less. And I've always believed he didn't consistently take less because he wanted to leave enough cap space behind so they'd have a great team. I've always believed he took less because he feared Bill Belichick, a coach of the team, and the guy who runs the football operation, waking up one day and saying, this guy's costing me too much money. I can find somebody who is dollar for dollar better than him. So bye-bye, Tom, enter a new quarterback. How much of that is part of why he always took less? Great read by you. Fantastic read. And to back it up, to buttress your argument, think about 2017, prior to Jimmy Garoppolo being traded. What did Seth Wickersham's story do a very good job of articulating? that Brady started to agitate in that offseason. Let's get this extension. Because in 2016, he signed a two-year extension for, I believe, $40 million, about $20 million a year. And he was looking towards, okay, I think it was 16 and 17. Was I'd have to double-check it. But he was pay, playing for less. So when 2017 came and Jimmy was sitting there and Tom was – um, in a position where he wanted that new contract, which would be a symbolic assurance that they were going to move on from Jimmy and stick with him, and he didn't get it, that's what pissed him off. Making it more exacerbating was after the Patriots, at least they never gave an offer to Don Yee. They talked about them. They tried to figure it out, but they never gave him one. But they were going to pay Jimmy $12, $14 million to back Brady up. So when Jimmy is eventually traded, and Brady looks at him and says, look, I won. Now I want my, my raise. You were going to give this guy $12 million to watch me play. Where's my raise? That's when it became not about playing for less. It's You get the dynamic of what I'm talking about? Or did I just yeah, talk to you? No, I understand. He's at a point where he no longer is worried about Bill Belichick saying, I don't want you anymore. In his mind, if that's what you yes, say, you. somewhere else at this and point. And he took less in 2016 because Jimmy was still there. He had to beat back the challenge, which he did in the Super Bowl, which, again, he was doing in 2017. So that really is the crux of it, Mike. He had beaten back the challenge, taken less. I'm going to take less now. But once I do what I know I'm going to do, I'm going to ask for my God-starred money. And that's what happened.
Yeah, and I, I can see that because I think his performance in Super Bowl 51 put him on a higher plane. I remember having the feeling in the aftermath of that game that he is now at the Michael Jordan level, even though he didn't have six championships. This is a guy, if he's anywhere within driving distance or reasonable flight distance, you need to go see him. You need to be able to say, I was in his presence. I saw this guy play however long he continues. And here we are three years later and he's still going. But Mike, that I got to tell you this. I have to tell you this. Go ahead. After that Super Bowl, I was told specifically by somebody really close to him, now everything changes. I was like, what does that mean? What they meant was he's gotten to a level that Bradshaw didn't get to, that Montana didn't get to. You're exactly right. The only person who had left to chase was, was Jordan. And that's why 2017 in the Eagles Super Bowl is so rank, rankling. And I have a feeling that when his wife joked about walking off into the sunset after winning Super Bowl 51, it really wasn't a joke. That would have been from a dramatic standpoint, from a presentation standpoint. That would have been the ultimate moment to say, see you later. And that would have been the most memorable walk off into the sunset. And he may not get that opportunity to win a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers and walk off into the sunset. That moment may have been squandered. Now it came back two years later, but he still refused to walk off into the sunset. How important do you think it is to him to cap his career with a championship and then walk away with that trophy tucked under his arm? I don't think it's a priority. I, I don't. I think the bigger priority is playing until he does until he sucks. And if his last year, when he sucks, he goes nine and seven or eight and eight and leaves the game, then he emptied the tank. I can't imagine him being like Jordan, like so many of the other, the real greats, unlike a Barry Sanders, who was a real great, and I don't begrudge him what he did, but Brady's going to have to have the game torn from his cold, dead hand. Yeah, and look, that's the attitude a lot of players have. You rarely see all-time greats decide they're going to hang on as long as possible. And I've wondered from time to time, would Tom Brady ever continue to play even if he can't find a starting job? Now, look, this year there were teams that wanted him, but it's not like they were lined up out the door the way we right. thought they were going to be. It's not like they were with Peyton Manning. It really isn't. I thought it would be, but it was not. Do you think he would still keep pressing to play even if he was in a Cam Newton spot where he's just out there floating, waiting for someone to give him a phone call? I think it would be hard for him to do that. I really do, especially at the age of 45 or 46. That's the difference between Peyton's line and the number of teams taking a number for him. And Tom, he's still 43. He's got a better arm than Peyton did at 37. He's more put together and more healthy than Peyton was. Well, probably not in 2013. That's probably not accurate on my part. But Peyton had to leave. There was no more arm strength. He, he got chased from the game by his body. Same thing with Favre. Um, we're not seeing that yet with Brady. Sims has always said that Brady's going to be able to throw the way he currently throws into his 50s. And I had somebody who knows the game very well tell me a few years ago that with Brady, you need to watch his legs. Yep. Once he starts getting hit, that's when he potentially gets hurt. That's when he starts looking down at the rush instead of down the field, as we've seen him do from time to time in specific games. And we've seen the business decisions he makes now. And look, I'm not criticizing him for, you know, throwing the ball quickly and ducking and covering when Frank Clark is bearing down on him and missing Julian Edelman in the end zone with the game on the line against the Chiefs because you have to make that decision to be available to your team next week. And if you take a square hit from Frank Clark yep. while completing that pass to Julian Edelman, who are you really helping? But 
I feel like a lot of what's going on now is self-preservation being factored into his decision-making, and that could be a challenge with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We know about the Bruce Arians offense. Quarterback holds the ball a long time. No risk it, no biscuit. I don't know what faith Tom's going to have in that offensive line. Sims and I were talking about this today. Phillip Rivers may be in a better spot because he's got the better offensive line. Um, here's my contention on that. Brady, offensive line. Go ahead. What, what's important to watch with Brady is he's actually attuned to the time of year when he's going to take hits. He doesn't take hits prior to Thanksgiving. He takes them after and in the playoffs. He'll stand in and take ridiculous punishment, but he does. He's, he's absolutely – and I, it, we started to see that up here in about 2012 when they played at Seattle on the road and they lost that uh, you mad bro game. There was a lot of ducking, a lot of ducking and running. And we've seen that over the years, but he still will answer the bell in the bigger games when he knows something's on the line. But you're right. It's, it's foot quickness, which I still think that he has and works on. That's why he has it, to move around to be nimble in the pocket. But this past year, there were two things working against him. There was insufficient offensive line play. There was no tight end. And there was insufficient separation. So he was as unnerved as he's ever been. And his performance waned as the year went on because there were too many times he'd take the snap and say, I don't think this is going to work out. Yep, I've seen this one last week. Get it out of here. You know, so. he's got the weapons around him to throw to this year without question. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, now Gronk is there, O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait. I, I wonder if Brady will have the kind of impact on them and the offensive line and the defense and everyone on the team. Will he kind of have that Michael Jordan impact? We've seen so much during the last dance about how Michael Jordan, and look, I don't know whether or not Jordan is simply trying to justify after the fact that he was an asshole, an unmitigated, unrelenting asshole. And now when it's time to package it up and sell it to a mass audience, it's being sold as something that was strategic and tactical, right? Let's assume that that's what Tom has the power to do to hold guys accountable, to elevate their game. Do you see him walking through the door and having that kind of an impact on the Buccaneers? I'm told that this is what is driving him to absolute distraction right now, is the inability to interact with this team and make the cultural impact that he had anticipated. You know, people close to him that I spoke to in late January when it was being talked about as to where he would go and what impact he would have, he was it was related to okay what Manning did with Denver is what Tom hopes to do and will do wherever he goes. There'll be a, a wholesale culture change when he walks through the door. You can't enact that from your and I. You can't. You just can't do it. So they got to get their asses uh, stealthily up to Montana or something. Uh, caravan, get get up there and start working together because he's not having the impact that I think that he hoped. He would have uh, at this this time. It's it's. I think it's probably driving a lot of teams cuckoo, but I think it's driving him and his situation um, a little bit to distraction. Don't you already wonder though whether or not some of that's going on? Like, why does he have to be in Tampa now? He doesn't have to be in Tampa now. And that story, that goofy thing where he walks into the wrong house and it's supposed to be Byron Leftwich's house, and he drops duffel bags on the ground and. Somebody with another team said to me, those duffel bags, you know, they didn't, they didn't contain volleyballs. They got footballs in them, you know, and he's working out with Leftwich and he's meeting with these guys and maybe he's meeting with his teammates and he got kicked out of the park down there. I mean, look, 
competitive juices are going to take over. These guys think they're invincible. These guys don't care about a pandemic. They care about being the best football players they can be and the hell with everything else, the risks they take when they line up and play. If you start stacking them up, coronavirus is going to be very low on the list. Don't you think that he and others around the league have found a way discreetly to do the things that they otherwise would be doing during off-season workouts. 100%. And I know that I would if I were in their shoes. Um, it's, it's, your, it's your occupation, and you have to find a way to, to, to do it. Is, is it wearing receiver gloves? Is it you know, making sure that you can trust the individual with whom you're going to throw and say, have you been quarantined? How many people are around your house? How many people are interacting with you? Um, I have family, for instance, I'm saying if I was a player, my mom lives with me in the, the room out back. Don't, don't screw with me. You know, you, you got to be honest. And then you go do it. I mean, that's, that's part of what we're going to be encountering over the next 60 to 90 days. It's the social contract that we have to uphold. And if I was an NFL player, I would probably go ahead and, and do those things because you, you have an occupation that you have to be ready to perform that does include interaction. So, yeah. Yeah. An easy thing to do would be to take all these guys to Montana some way, somehow. I think once things start to open up a little bit, and I know nothing about the facilities that he has up there, but he's got the money to have whatever he wants. Right. And I think of the most recent last dance where Michael Jordan is filming Space Jam and they, they built a facility for him there. I mean, Brady can do whatever he wants to do. He can build whatever he wants to build. They can all go to Montana and they can have pre-training camp, training camp there with all the key players that he needs to have present, he can write the check for all of it. And it's no big deal because his legacy is worth it. His impact on the Buccaneers is worth it. And I think we'd be naive to assume something like that isn't going to happen. It's a bigger, and this is great. I'm having a great time with this conversation. You usually cut me off by now. But isn't it a really interesting conversation relative to the um, if one can't do it, none can do it? tenets that the NFL is adhering to, which I think is important that they adhere to. But if you have innovative guys who have the wherewithal to go to places and get it done, if they feel they are individually safe and responsible in the way they can do it. And again, I, I don't think you agree with me. I don't think Michael David Smith agrees with me. I have a different viewpoint on it. Um, but if you think that you cannot put others at risk and still take care of your vocation, should you do that? Um, some guys will, some guys won't. Some quarterbacks will, some quarterbacks won't. Um, everybody's got a different home situation. So it's fascinating. Is there going to be an edict at some point where Goodell says, all right, you guys can't be getting together in groups of five or more. I don't want to hear about it. It's, what do you think, Mike? He's not, going to, he's not going to do that because he already would have done that. Back when we were seeing the videos of Dak Prescott and Des Bryant, they were posted in consecutive weeks. The story about Dak Prescott having the dinner party at his house his reluctance to acknowledge that he had people who were in his home who should have been in their homes, not in his homes. The NFL has taken a very, very soft approach on this, just saying we encourage our players to follow the guidelines when, and, and it's, it's amazing to me that this is even controversial, when you have clear requirements, clear mandates from state and local governments telling people what they can and can't do in order to limit the spread of a virus that will kill people and has killed over 80,000 people and counting. It's a staggering number. The idea that the NFL won't stand up, the idea that anyone- Well, they're not mandates. Well, but the- idea recommendations. For instance, here in Massachusetts, which is very hard hit and is usually very strident, our mandates are 
no groupings of 10 or, or more. Well, that's right. And in other states, the mandates are keep your ass at home. Only leave the home for important essential reasons like getting groceries, getting medication, getting gas in your car so you can get groceries and get medication. There's a very, or at least has been, hell, it's, it's all softening so much now. I don't know where it stands, but there was that period of time where I felt like I was living in the twilight zone where governments are saying this is what you must do in order to limit the spread of this deadly virus. And there was evidence that NFL players were ignoring those requirements. And the NFL's attitude was, well, we'd really like you to comply. When right. they have grossly and excessively punished guys for something that, from the standpoint of what kind of risk it poses to other people, especially on a widespread basis, is far less than what this risk is. That's what's made me feel like the world is turned upside down. And I understand that there are plenty of people out there that want to get back to their jobs. They want to get back to earning money. I get that. But at least early on in this, when we were all supposedly on the same page, there were these pockets of NFL players who weren't on the same page. You're right. The NFL didn't seem to care. You're right. And, and that's the thing, I think, as we look at, at this massive, massive country with rural, beyond rural, and cosmopolitan areas. Where are the players who are getting together? Are you getting together in Dallas? I mean, it's a pretty, you know, thick area. Now, if you were getting together in New Jersey, it'd be even more insane or Massachusetts. So it's just, there's, it's hard to, you know, we talk about Italy or Spain or Sweden or South Korea and all these different places, what they did. We're 50 friggin' states, which are basically some of them the size of their own countries. So I get it. And it's a conversation that, just we could have for hours and hours and hours. I'm sure there'd be a line of people who have their own input on it. We've been dealing with the seven or eight weeks. We have some very embedded thoughts that we want to get off our chest. But um, in the long run, I think guys are going to start to view themselves as, look, I'm not personally at risk of dying from this. I might get sick. I might get real sick. But chances are actually really good that I won't get sick at all for a couple of days. And then I'll be have antibodies. And they're going to start to go out and prepare for whatever kind of season there will be. I think it was Kareem Jackson recently, Mike, you guys blogged it up, who said, we can't play until there's 100%, uh, until we're guaranteed 100% there's no risk. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until that disease is eradicated. And it's not going to be eradicated anytime in the next 15 years. So. And let me tell you, I think you give some of these guys too much credit when you lay out very properly and responsibly the idea that before guys get together they need to be right. about their family situations i don't think that they think about their family situations whether it's because and i think it's this simple and i don't want to make it a political thing but when there are messages that have come from the highest levels of government that you can seize on to early in the process and then plug your ears and not listen mm -hmm. to anything else that's said those things that mesh with what you want to do become the thing that lets you do what you want to do, whether it's just the flu or it's a hoax or it's overblown, it's no big deal. You're going to do what you want to do. You feel impervious to it because, look, for most of these guys who have made it to the NFL, they have already beaten odds far longer than avoiding the coronavirus and or getting sick and or dying from it. They'll take the risk. That's something Sim says all the time. The individual players don't care, right? They should. Some of them should. Morbidly obese offensive and defensive linemen should. Patrick <laughs> Peterson, who has diabetes, should. But for the most part, the average player is like, screw it. I don't care. I'm playing football. And I don't know that many football players are engaging in that analysis of how often do I come into contact 
with Mima or Papa, and what may this do to them? You're, I, I don't want to say most. I oftentimes try and err on the side of these guys are a lot, we don't give them enough credit. And then I look at the voting on the friggin' CBA and I'm like, why do we, why do we get all hepped up um, in the media about making sure players get their rights honored? And then you, these guys don't even spend any time studying like we who have no impact at all from the CBA do. You ever notice that, Mike? You ever think oh, about I agree, that? I agree completely. And look, it's be friggin' crazy. Okay, with that, I need to thank our friend Tom Curran, whose computer died. That's his official story. His computer died. It seemed very much alive until I decided he had given me enough time today on the PFTPM podcast. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt this time. We'll have him back on again in the future. And if his computer dies a second time, I'll get the message that that's his way of telling me he's had enough. Hopefully, you haven't had enough, and you'll join us for more PFTPM podcasts from the barn here in West Virginia. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com every weekday morning also on NBCSN 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern with a re-air from 9 to 11 a.m. We'll see you every morning this weekend, every week until they tell us to shut up. Hopefully that won't be anytime soon. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.